Hello, everyone. Happy New Year to you. I know when it's like done being January 1st or 2nd or 3rd or the point of the year where you don't know the dates anymore, you just know it's not Christmas. I know it can feel old, but I just want to wish you Happy New Year. Um, one of the things that one of the things that's always interesting uh, in the new year is to see people's reactions to the year that has come and gone. Oops. Don't think. Let's see. Let's do this. Yeah, now we're cooking with gas. This is a really strange picture, so sorry if it's a little weird. Um, but it's like, goodbye, old year. Goodbye, old faults. Old complaints old grievances, goodbye grouches, goodbye bad habits, goodbye pessimism, goodbye hard times, welcome a fresh start. 2022 is like, really? Like, there's like nothing goodbye that was good? Okay, that's interesting. But we've seen here that like, kind of in the last few years, years get personified, right? And I, I don't know when this started, and don't get mad at me for the date or the year I'm going to say, but I feel like it might have been like 2016, maybe, just maybe, maybe. Like, where people were like, 2016 is trash, like, bye, like, get out of here, like, you're gone. And I was like, wow, it was just a year, right? And like, but I feel like that kept going. Like, I feel like 2017, 2018, it still had that kind of energy. I don't know exactly why. 2019, I think we were ready to move on from that. Like, we were like hoping, you know, like, oh, I think we're done with this. 2020, we're like, no, 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 like, this is, this is bad. This is bad. Uh, and I know a lot of us have had very challenging 2022s, but I feel like I didn't hear it as much this year. Maybe like it's normalizing, I'm not sure. Um, but it's weird, right, this whole transition from an old year to this new baby year we see here. I do not know why the baby is red. I'm sorry for that. You've seen this image far too long. It is gone. You're welcome. But I've got to ask, 15 days in, um, how are your resolutions? Did you make any? Or do your resolutions from 2020 still haunt you? I will visit the indoor seating of my favorite restaurant, specifically in the months of March to August. I will go to a sporting event, any sporting event, like any event. I will go to church more in this exact building and in person. I will wear less mask in my life. Of course, like the mask internally, right inside. Like resolutions don't always work. We know that, and yet we're still drawn to them. We still desire fresh starts. We desire new rhythms. We desire for change in our lives. How do we get it? Today, I want to invite us into a different way, a different way of approaching life, one that might come more as a flow, as a breeze, a stream, a guide. Some of y'all love the sound of that. You're like, ooh, that's nice, that's flowy. Others of you are like, I do not like that. It is making me nervous. I need rules. I need definition. I need shape. Breathe. We are going to be okay. Really. Truly. Before I read several scriptures over us to initiate us into this way, I want to share a personal story and just an illustration with you that might help you enter in. You know, before my faith grew in college uh, and even my early days at ECV and grad school, um, I had maybe a different way of seeing God. Maybe some of you guys will relate to this. It's a way of seeing God where, you know, if you did something well, you were rewarded. And if you did something bad, you were punished. That might not have been like the way I would have talked about God, but I think if you looked at my life, it might have been the way I behaved. And if you did nothing, maybe still God punished you, right? When you read the parable of the talents, you're like, oh, doing nothing, that's not necessarily a safe thing. But something changed in me. This different way. It wasn't just I move my chess piece, God moves his. As my faith grew, a new illustration became really helpful. What if God's spirit, what if God's love was more like a stream? A stream coming down. A stream that just was like above us and was always flowing. Didn't really matter what we were doing, if we were aware. It was just always there. And it really depended on my posture if I could notice that in fullness or not. Like if I had a closed fist, I might still feel some water, but it might mostly splash off of me. If I had an open palm like this, there might have been a way that I would have you know, felt something but it really would take a, an open, cupped hand. 
ready for me to receive, ready for me to gather, even if it's just a little bit of water that could be for me or someone else, or I could take it somewhere. That simple illustration was quite life-changing for me. What if there was always a stream? What if God was always doing something, always moving, and it was flowing over you, maybe adjacent, maybe next, but it was uh, loud enough or even quiet enough, if you still yourself, that you could hear it, move towards it, get right under it, and then get some of that water. Perhaps you even needed to have a closed fist first. Like, that's all you could do. But then as the water started moving on your fist, you open it up just a little bit more, and then into a cupped hand to receive. Why play chess with God when you can have some water play instead? Context, I don't like chess. Maybe chess is like a very redemptive image for you and God. Bless you. That's not where I am yet. I've not grown to your level. But this became a new way for me to understand God's movement in the world. When you're experiencing God's love and God's spirit, just cup your hands and receive. When you've lost the flow, don't work harder. Just work on your positioning. You'll find it again. You'll feel the water again. You'll get that cupped hand posture once more. As a worship leader once said, your power is not in your push, but in your position. Your power is not in your push, your effort, your labor, your work, but it's in your position, how you're posturing before the Lord. And as an eight on the Enneagram, uh, if you're not familiar with that, it's kind of known as the challenger, uh, I have ran into doors, physical ones. I have smashed things with my foot, not my hands usually. Uh, most recently it was a cup that was, it wasn't joy, it was a cup that said joy on it. I don't think I even knew what it was. I think it was a gift for joy. I'm, I'm sorry, I just, it was just gone. I was like piecing it together. I was like, oh, it said my daughter's name. I think that was a gift for her, like from Christmas, from someone. Oops. Like, I've, I've actually ran into children before, like, you know, obviously my own, but I remember uh, a shameful moment. This is a moment of confession. It was one of your children. I just ran, and I just looked, and I was like, I didn't know what to do. I think I just kept walking, and I realized, wait, I didn't check to see if this child was, it's, again, this is a confession. This is not good. But there's a way of just moving through life, going, going, going. And I know the danger of a push, push, push lifestyle. You run into things, including your fast approaching limits. You break things, including parts of yourself. No one wins, even if the short-term gains from the shortcuts are enticing, and they are enticing, and they do work even for a little bit, but you will lose much that way. Positioning, though, is different. It lets you try on different postures, different ways, different habits, in order to see where you experience God the most how you hear God most effectively, and from that place of positioned relationship, you can listen to and experience God. Discern what that means for you, what your interaction with the living God is meant, and then to obey courageously with the help of community and the help of God. So in case you're wondering, following God this way is not finding like the best spot to tan on the beach, as if you're about to like laze about forever. Because some of you are like, okay. Like I know that like you think that's cute, but come on. But rather it acknowledges something that I think really is true deeply. That God is always moving and always working and always showering us with love, even if that seems far off. And when we find it, we have a much easier time hearing what that same God wants us to do in trusting that same God once we're in that posture. We're not leaving God to go try and be faithful. We're moving with that water, with that flow, even letting it lead us down the river, down the way. We're going from glory to glory, presence to presence, even if we have some scary leaps of faith in between. That's the way. When we're open to receive God's influence in our lives this way, we get to see the power of God's consistency, even with our own inconsistency. After all, dripping water hollows out stone, not through force, but through persistence. And I've come to be a bigger believer in that 
mostly as I fail and things don't go well and things are hard, I realize my tidal pool of effort didn't really work. And yet there's something in the background of my life, a drip, a drop, a consistency that's usually not my own effort, but something about God or the community I'm in or a moment of grace that can wear down that stone. I've come to see scripture as one form of dripping water and one form of experiencing God's love, even when scripture can prompt more questions than resolutions or discomfort than ease. Even with that, I still find scripture a place where we can experience God, especially the Psalms. So what are the Psalms? They're a book of poetry, many of them attributed to David. They're the kind of book of the people of God. They're a way for the people of God to express themselves, to call out with lament, with praise, with song and verse and more. And they're beloved. You know, if you know some of like the legends or the history, whether it's your own family history, you know, history with a church or just church history, like, you know, things like St. Patrick praying a hundred psalms a day to build up spiritual power so he could, you know, deal with being enslaved and oppressed by the Druids. His disciples doing 150 when St. Patrick passed. If you've been to the home of any uh, older black person, I'm thinking of my own grandparents here, the King James Bible is just open, usually to a psalm. And I know one friend in college was like, oh, I think we're doing like a Bible study. They're like, Josh, I can't read this translation. I'm like, wait, is it like the words I picked? Did I accidentally pick a different language? They're like, no, no, I can't read the psalms in anything other than King James. Like if my grandma was here, like it wouldn't fly. So I, I can't, like you can read this if you, if you want to. That's your, that's your own journey and story, right? But I can't. I'm like, okay, that's fair. Um, And if you know the Psalms, you know that they read you just as much as you read them. And you can find things in them that are a treasure trove, a delight, even in the darkest time. I remember some of my depressed friends finding Psalm 3, Psalm 13, Psalm 30, Psalm 88. Seeing them encounter their own story in the pages of Scripture has been a privilege. Meeting God in those passages myself when darkness has closed in on me felt like something like salvation. Reading Psalm 150 when something good has happened in my life has been a joy, especially when I say, let's like break out like kind of the Old Testament instruments and kind of put in your own thing there. That's, that's fun. We can live our lives alongside these Psalms. And many of us, even if we're not regular churchgoers, even if we're uh, new to the Jesus following thing, or that's not what we've even decided to do with our lives, many of us can relate. We've heard something like Psalm 23 at a graduation or a funeral or a wedding. The Spirit pours out the love of God when we read these prayers. So let's experience the Psalms together. And then let's talk about a practical next step that can come from reading and experiencing God in them. While I'll mostly focus on Psalm 1 today, I'm going to read Psalm 16 and Psalm 23 just so we can get used to the flow and the cadence. And we'll likely return to these other Psalms in coming weeks. Tina, can you help me for one second? I'm gonna, uh, there's a thing I do. This could be risky, especially because I have kids that use my phone. But um, there's a, an app called Streetlights that I think is amazing. It's on Spotify and stuff. It just gives another way of hearing the Psalms, maybe in a way that uh, some people uh, aren't used to. And so I want to do a very lo-fi way of sharing this. Can, can you go? I'm going to just need you to help. Thank you. Problem will be if anything else is queued up after this. <laughs> so you'll find out what our family listens to or what I listen to. Psalm chapter one, book one, Psalms one through forty one. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. But not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction.
Psalm chapter 16, a Psalm of David. Keep me safe, O God, for I have come to you for refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the names of their gods. Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad, and I rejoice. My body rests in safety. For you will not leave my soul among the dead, or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence, and the pleasures of living with you forever. Chapter 23, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me. In the presence of my enemies, you honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Give it up for Streetlights, for DJ Tina, for Juanita, who was on the right. I, I heard you. I heard you. That was great. I love that. So hopefully by hearing just a few back-to-back, -back, you can see a little bit of the flow not only of how Streetlights does it, but of the Psalms themselves. You know, we're only gonna really look at Psalm 1 today, but I want us to see here that blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction." This is the opening of the Psalter, of this prayer book, and we see that there's a way of blessing and a way of destruction. The difference doesn't seem to be about good people or bad people, even if the scripture uses language like wicked. Instead, it seems like the way of blessing comes from being planted, and not just planted anywhere, but by streams, streams of water. When plantings are positioned by streams of water, Whatever they're doing, there's a way that it's yielding fruit somehow, even if it's in this weird seasonal rhythm. Their leaves don't seem to wither. Whatever they do prospers. This is a path of being watched over, cared for, held in a certain way. The other path seems rough. It's defined by mockers. It's defined by wrongdoing. And it says that it leads to a path of destruction which I think is helpful for me. It's not that all of it's destruction, because sometimes we see people like, we know they ain't up to no good, but they're, they're fine, or even like more than fine, but it's leading somewhere. 
it's leading somewhere versus being planted, and it seems like being led. This language of planting might be familiar to some of us. It rhymes with Jesus' language in the Gospels, the stories of his life about growth and kingdom growth, these four kinds of soils that we can see in Matthew 13. Uh, soil that is rocky ground refers to someone who's heard the word and receives it with joy because they have no root. They last only a short time. Or soil where there's, it's among thorns. It refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word. Word seeds that are just on the path and it gets snatched up, taken away. But there's this different kind of soil, this different way. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred 60 or 30 times what was sown. The difference crucially here is it's not in the seed, right? But it's in the soil. The soil that someone cozies up to. The soil that someone finds is their good home. The soil that someone says, this is where I want to be. It's not the seed. It's the soil. It's not you. It's the, the context. It's the ways that you're making decisions. The ways that you're saying, I want to be planted. Or I'm okay being on the path in the thorns, by the rocks. That's what the scripture is saying that's helpful to me. It's not like there's just wicked people and good people, but there's people who are planted and then people who prefer another way. We need good soil. We need to plant by life-giving streams. After all, plants recognize what they need, sunlight and water. They'll even move right to the left or to the right for the sun. They even show signs, right, that they need water. Seeds are desiring a home that will lead to growth, good soil. You don't have to convince a plant to shoot up. You don't have to convince a plant to blossom, to bloom, to bear fruit. It's just what they do. It's an organic outcome. We see their desire for it as a plant to, to bend. And like we said, even when they don't get something to wilt. The language is so natural. And for me, it, it feels so foreign at times, right? It makes me wonder, do we know what streams of water are like? Do we know what good soil is like? Do I know what streams of water are? Do I know what good soil is? If we were in good soil, could our toes move through it and we just know, yes, this will be good for me. In Psalm 1, the plants know. In Matthew 18, the seeds know. Do we in the world of spiritual formation, you hear people talk a lot about desire. It can be confusing. Christian spirituality and maybe especially our, our histories in church can feel so much like it's right or wrong thinking or just Christian morality, good person, bad person. And as I've heard Bill and Laney who are over there unpack this, for me, for our church, for so many, thank you Bill and Laney for doing this work, uh, they talk about desire. They talk about desire a lot. And if you've been in a workshop with them, maybe you've been this person, you often hear the same first question. Bill and Lady probably already know what it is. It's about the fragility or the untrustworthiness of desire. So, you know, Bill, I know you got 30 plus years in ministry and you're way wiser than me. I know all of that. But, but just, just seeing if you got one thing right, Bill, just one, one thing. Really? Desire? Is that what leads us into who were to become the path that God has for us? And Bill and Laney have the same answer. I've heard it each time. Yes. Chase that desire down. Present it before God. Learn to trust your God-given desires and be okay with that being a journey. What can be planted? What can it mean to be planted by streams of water? What might it look like? Being planted by water might give you hope when others offer cynicism. Might give you joy when others see that everything is going wrong and feel like joy isn't possible. Maybe being planted by the water gives you mercy when you've messed up or a sense of life and possibility when so much around calls for death and judgment. Maybe those things are the water and you see them and you recognize them by a yearning for a new way, for something different, for something good. 
And maybe there's even something in you that says, can I choose that though? Is mercy for me? Is joy for me? Is goodness for me? And I think we already heard it, right, in Psalm 23. I think it says it will chase you down. So I think that means it is for you. Do you know what the streams of water are that you're thirsty for? Or maybe you've chosen a different good that could lead you on a path that is just chaff, chaff that the wind blows away. Augustine says that the essence of sin is disordered love, that we have a love above the love of God, whether it's an oldie but a baddie, I guess, like the love of money, or perhaps something a bit more hidden, the love of being right, the love of being certain, affiliation with one's own tribe more than anything else. That relates here, I think, because sometimes we're all too okay with muddy streams as opposed to the streams of living water where God wants us to grow. We see this again, and we turn to it a lot in ECV, this quote from C.S. Lewis from Weight of Glory. But it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And if you're a parent, you know what it's like to play one of those games with your kids where you're like, if you do this, you're gonna get this thing. And you know what that thing is. It's like, it's amazing. It's really, really good. And your kid's like, nope, I'm gonna be in public going. <laughs> and you're like, well, you lost it, right? And it's, it's cute, right, to think that's the lesson or think that's cool, but then we look at us and we're like, oh, dag, like, that's me too, right? It's not just Zoe or Joy. Like, that's my own life. And unlike the cool Disney toy, I think, like, what God was offering was much better. Don't tell Zoe and Joy that. Not yet. For me, the invitation from Psalm 1 isn't don't be wicked. It's not that. Instead, it's find the life-giving streams, and with God's help, use your desire to locate it. You'll recognize those things. You'll hunt them down. They'll even chase you by lives that bear fruit in season, by trees not marked by withering, and by a kingdom kind of prospering. There's so much hope in that because the pressure is on the water to keep flowing, not for us to create water out of a rock. When the pressure's on God, that's a good thing for you. God, you gotta show up. My back's against the wall. I don't know what's happening, but you say you're good. I'm going to give you some time. Take your time, God. Take your time. Those might seem like audacious or even like wrong prayers. I found them to be some of the most helpful for me and some of the only ones that allow me to believe God is good all the time. Because I'm saying, God, you're going to show that. I don't have to work to believe that sometimes, maybe any time. But maybe that's for a different sermon. We don't have to focus on not being wicked, whatever that would mean but instead being placed and positioned by the streams of life-giving water. Maybe we'll be persuaded to be elsewhere. There'll be some temptation for us. Maybe we'll think we need to do something else, like to, to have effort to be good. Maybe we'll be tempted by something that feels like salacious or uh, appetizing. Maybe there'll be fear that we just won't be positioned or placed. Surely there's more work than this. This is too easy. This can't be it. We've said that before, right? But what if it truly isn't in our push, but our position, or our posture, like we learned last Lent when we covered postures of humility? Bow, lay, look up, stand, shout and bend, walk. It's helpful that positioning, that those postures are practical. We can look for this, even in the Psalms. Is there a way that it would be practical to be planted, like Psalm 1 invites us to do? Practical in Psalm 16, where the boundary lines fall for us in pleasant places. Practical, like in Psalm 23, where apparently goodness and mercy are chasing after all of us. That might be quite a surprise to some. They're like, I have not seen that right now. But, but what could the practices be that would help us see that more? As I kind of wrap up and get to the last bit of this, I want to invite us just to think and consider about one practice 
It's actually one of the most helpful things I've ever encountered pursuing this kind of positioned or placed life, and it's called uh, a rule of life. A rule of life is not a cool measuring stick. It's not a list of orders. Instead, it's a way of intentions and practices. People from all over church history have done this. It's from the orders of the Catholic Church, but it's also from different justice movements, from local churches, and it can even be for individuals. And I think that's one of the best ways to start with it. It really is about how can you be planted and how can you grow. In rule of life trainings, this image that always is used is a trellis, right? Something that just shoots up like a fence and a vine can find its way around growing to heights that it never could otherwise. Otherwise, it would just be on the ground, unprotected, moving, alive, but maybe not thriving. The trellis helps it get more of the sun to be positioned to bear fruit, fruit that lasts. And a rule of life is our trellis. And here's the weird thing. Again, a little bit of bad news before the good news. We already have one of these. Like, we already have a rule of life. You might be surprised. No, I don't, you say. Well, at Tuesday, 7 p.m., what were you doing? And whatever you were doing Tuesday at 7, is it like what you were doing maybe the last Tuesday before? Or maybe like every weeknight at 7? Okay, what about mornings? Friday morning at 8, what were you up to? Now, what about the other mornings of your week? You know, what about other Fridays? Saturday night? Some people don't want to talk about Saturday night. That's okay. We're not going to go in detail. But like, what were you up to, right? Sorry, I just said I was going to talk about that, and I did. This could be a very revealing exercise for us to do. At one point, I had to admit, because I had some rule of life language, I had to admit that my rule of life, especially during COVID season, was every weeknight to be bone tired after either Tina or me or both of us put our girls to bed or tried to do that, and we went back on the couch exhausted and then said, we've got to find them. We've got to go on a hunt for them. Where are they? Where are they? We were not talking about the Bible. We were not talking about uh, really anything. We were talking about chips and salsa. Where are the chips? We need the chips and salsa now. And then if they weren't there, what we would do is we would barter, we would bicker, and we'd find out who is going to, again, COVID season, mask up and go the five-minute drive that seemed like a world away to go to Walgreens on Whaley, which had the gold we needed. The treasure was there. Some people know this about us. Then, of course, with our prize, we would say, now let's find something, actually, no, anything, just a movie, and then I would probably promptly fall asleep during that. I've gotten better, but in that season especially, I was just asleep, and Tina was like, why do, shouldn't this mean he always gets a chip and salsa if he falls asleep? That wasn't always how it was. I say this not to shame myself. I'm actually okay eating so many chips. Oh, man, I was going to have this. If, I don't know if you found this out during COVID. I did. The, the Tostitas logo is actually just two people, like, sitting together at a table eating chips. Insert the picture I don't have. But it's true. You can find out tonight if you want to. I didn't know that before COVID. And then I was like, oh, I'm just always looking at it, right? It's, it's true. Two people eating chips at a table. And it was actually helpful for me to realize in that moment that was a pretty dark moment for me. Well, this has become my liturgy. This has become my rule of life. This is my routine. And I, I didn't like that fully. But it was also great, you know, in God's mercy to look at other things that were going on. Weekly commitment to worship, weekly communal prayer, weekly fellowship. I am a pastor by profession, so you might be like, that's what you do for my, it is, but I'm just saying it was, it's weekly, right? Like, I was like, this is good. Like, I'm doing some other things besides eating chips and salsa. But like, that's part of our rule, being here together. And when we figure all that out, we can ask this dreaded question of, how is that working for you? Like, how is that, like, serving you, helping you, gr- making you grow? And I had to really admit, for the chips and salsa thing, I was like, it's, it's really not. They're not even that good. Sorry. Sorry, Tina. <laughs> Tina said it wrong. But there, there's another invitation. So you've got to think about, in this rule of life, some people like the word rhythm of life, is it actually helping you enjoy time with Jesus? Feel free and differentiated in Christian community. That's big words is to say that you have your own journey and other people have theirs. And by coming here, you're not just becoming one big blob of a person, but you're staying who you are in your calling. Unity, right, is good. It can happen. But uniformity sometimes can block off the things that God has for you. Has it helping you deal with your anger problem, your bitterness problem? And is it connecting you to other people to do life with? If you don't like what you see, you actually can step into changing it. 
And it's not through a resolution. It's through a way, through a practice, anchored not just by the turning of a clock or the year or like New York City having a ball go up or down, but actually by like ancient scriptures and promises, mostly reflecting the promise of God, of who God is actually. So just a, a story and then um, an invitation for some prayer. Uh, Bill Elander often messes me up, and he did it again this fall. He was doing not exactly a rule of life teaching, but it was just a spiritual formation exercise. And he said, you know, I've been praying. I just have this invitation. It's a little crazy, but it's an invitation. Can I keep going? I was like, Bill, I don't know. This is scary. I'm not sure. And he said, what if you actually just did a clean slate on your spiritual practices? Just, just right now, just do a clean slate. And I was like, Bill, I've been working on my rule of life. I've been thinking about like, you know, weekly, daily, quarterly, and like, what am I doing? He's like, no, clean slate. And would you let desire lead? It's like, I've heard that Bill with the desire again, come on. But I was like, let me just actually take him up on it. You know sometimes where people are offering things, like maybe you're in a church service and this guy's up front, this person's up front and saying like, hey, do this thing. And you're like, I'm just not gonna do it. And other times you actually feel like, oh my gosh, what if I'm actually gonna do it? I feel something inside to say like, I should try this. That's what I had when Bill was talking. I was like, I think I should take this invitation. So I did. I had some practices, I wiped them clean. But when I did, what came to me was, what if I just chew on some scriptures like scriptures I remember, and just had that be enough for a season. I felt like it was a bridge season. I was going to land here, but it was just, I didn't know how long it was going to last, maybe a few weeks. So I started with, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? And that's all I thought about. That's all I reflected on when I was thinking about, like, scripture. It wasn't all my daily reading or anything in the liturgy or tons of passages. It was just that little phrase. Then it changed to taste and see that the Lord is good. Only that it kind of like moved. I don't, I don't know how it moved, but it just moved, it like shifted. Then it was do not be afraid. And it was really helpful to let go of so much, including, you know, let's be honest, sometimes spiritual work just feels like a burden. To let go of so much and to feel like it's just those phrases or words. And that's all I had. And I, again, I knew it was a bridge and I didn't know where it was gonna land, but I felt like that was my way to something. And then one day I went to a colleague's funeral, a ministry colleague, he was 74, and over and over again in these stories and testimonies about his life, they kept talking about how he read the Proverbs every day. And he stayed thinking about what does it mean to be a wise person? And instantly I knew that season of the little you know, phrases is done. And there's a new season where I'm gonna read a proverb every day for the day of the month, like the first or the 15th or the 20th or whatever. And that was the practice. And I've been doing that since September. And I don't think I would have had that without Bill's invitation, let it go and see what happens. And I've picked up some things along the way. Okay, I can do a proverb that's going kind of well. Sometimes they're a little weird. Maybe I can get added something else. Let me do a Psalm. It's just Psalm one through 31, just repeating. I don't have complicated math right now. I'm just like one through 31, go back. Then I added a gospel. Again, there's not you know 31. So it's, they just kind of go, I get creative towards the end. But it's been really good for me. It became a part of my rule of life, not just like as like a exercise I had to do every night, like how is this? But it almost was like there was something built in me. There was a flow in me. And we've done this, Tina and me, for a few years now, a very, very imperfectly, but they've been fruitful years. They've allowed us to see the chips and salsa rule of life and to know that that probably should have like a ticking time, right, to end. And then we have a season where maybe something new will be birthed, maybe something we don't even know but God will lead us to it. This has been helpful for people, as Bill and Laney have taught it in our community, as other people have taught it. I see people that maybe grew up with a more enforced quiet time routine, devotional routine, won't ask you to raise your hand. If I did, you're the people that might actually do that, even if you don't want to, because you're like, that's just what's been like religious life, so I won't ask you to do that. But they're like, I'm free, like, this is amazing, like this feels so different. I've seen marginalized folk do this in order to have a shot at showing up spiritually to a community where they can often feel discomfort. They can feel like things don't fit. And they're like, I need my own rule to do well here, to thrive here. I've seen busy folk do this because they're like, that daily rhythm, I miss a lot of days. But weekly, yeah, monthly, quarterly. And it's been life-giving for them to do that, to see that there's more than just a daily rhythm. There, it's, the daily rhythm's still there, believe me, right? But there's more than just that. So you can, you know, look up some resources on this. You know, tinyurl.com slash rule of life teaching 
Shout out to Lucy that shared a link with me today that was way better than one that I had found. I was like, dang it, that was kind of embarrassing. Like, I've been using one for a while, and then, like, this one's, like, beautiful and, like, got elegant graphics. So just thank you, you know? Uh, and there's even some resources we'll have downstairs um, after we celebrate Mariah. If you just want to even take a few copies of something, you can do that. If you have questions, I mean, Bill and Lainey might be down there. I'll be down there. If you have some things you want to interact around, I'd love to do that. This is what some of it looks like, you know, goals, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did, practices, a set of seven, daily, weekly, it goes on to monthly, quarterly, annually. And I think this is actually a good time for us as a church to say, maybe we should invest personally in a rule. Maybe we should even invest as a community in a kind of rule. Actually, maybe even one that's built towards the challenges we have as a community. I've been really thinking about that these days. What could be something we do together, even if we don't agree together? What's something that we could invest in to help us show up in our differences well, better than we have before? Maybe to allow us to have certain kinds of conversations, to allow us to have certain kinds of relationships. Maybe we have to have a rule first. Maybe. I've just been thinking about it. And the, the last thing I want to share is um, people who did have a rule and what happened in their lives. Um, this is uh, part of my rule, which is trying every year to get away to some site that's a pilgrimage site for me, usually involved somehow in my history as a black man, as a black person, uh, whether it's around uh, enslavement in the Americas, whether it's around the civil rights movement. This is in Jackson, Mississippi. This is uh, a man named Hezekiah Watkins. He's the youngest freedom writer uh, that was part of the freedom writer movement that uh, went through the public bus system to desegregate it, and it was mostly youth, young adults. Um, his picture, if you see the woman, he's the person third to the left uh, from, her, from her head, where she is. So that Hezekiah is in the picture, and then Hezekiah's, that's his mugshot. It was wild and amazing to meet him. I didn't know he would be there, but someone's like, yeah, like, so here's the thing. Like, there's this part of the museum, there's that part of the museum. And by the way, there's a freedom rider in gallery H3. And I was with my friend, I was like, let's go right now. Like, it's like, he'll be leaving it too. It's like one, like 49, I'm like, run! He was not moving. You might, yeah, he is the South. It's a slow culture. He was like, they say two, I say 2.30, so we're good. And it was amazing to talk to him. And there was one part of the conversation where I was talking about nonviolence, and I was mentioning how, you know, so many people didn't like nonviolence. They didn't agree with it. They, like, got converted to it. I was like, yeah, like, this guy named James Bevel, like, I love his story. Like, he didn't, like, like it at all. He wasn't really even Christian. He was going to a Christian college. And, you know, there's some stories about why he did that. They're, they're not really good stories, you know. But he showed up, and he changed. He became a pastor. He really believed in this. And this guy comes to me, Hezekiah, he's like, how you know James Bevel? I'm like, well... I mean, he's kind of like a famous figure in the civil rights movement, and like I read Walking with the Wind by John Lewis, and he just gives me a pound. He's like, James Bevel is my mentor. Like, he's the one that got me into the movement. I was like, word? Like, tell, tell me more, I, I need more stories. And he's like, yeah, like he was like singing in prison with us. Like, we thought he was just joking, but like, we were, turned out he actually believed in Jesus. Like, he was like reading Psalms to us. He was actually discipling us. I know that now. I didn't know that as a 13-year-old. These are the stories I need to hear. I want this so badly in my life. And that's why I take a pilgrimage every year, because if I didn't, I wouldn't get that. And for me, that's actually part of the, you know, the, sometimes you have a diet of things that you need, but no one will present to you if you don't ask for them yourself. No one was saying to me, like, you should take a civil rights pilgrimage every year because it'll make your life, like, alive. But I had to know that about myself by being with God and my spiritual director. And I think you probably have something like that, too, and I think for me, I found that groove through a what doesn't work well in my community or what, what's hard or what don't I see? And you might need to have that own journey yourself to see something that you otherwise wouldn't see. But, but they had a rule. Hezekiah didn't like nonviolence. I won't tell you some stories he told me, but I know some, and he, he wasn't always nonviolent, let's just say that. But there, there's things that they were uh, called to do. I'm going to read these off. I'll go just a little bit longer. Sorry, guys. I need to get closer. Probably to the screen is the best way. Uh, these are the Ten Commandments of Nonviolence that were set up by uh, MLK. This is actually a historic sheet, and it's uh, one that was from the Shuttlesworth Campaign, if you know him, Alabama Christian Movement for Human Rights. And here was the Ten Commandments they had. Usually when we celebrate MLK, we, like, learn nothing about this um, on MLK Day. So hopefully on MLK Day Eve, this is a blessing to you. 
Number one, meditate daily on the teachings and life of Jesus. Jewish person, agnostic person, atheist, Christian, this was still the first one. Just what they said. Two, remember always that the nonviolent movement in Birmingham seeks justice and reconciliation, not victory. Three, walk and talk in the manner of love, for God is love. Four, pray daily to be used by God in order that all people might be free. Five, sacrifice personal wishes in order that all people might be free. Six, observe with both friend and foe the ordinary rules of courtesy. Seven, seek to perform regular service for others and for the world. Eight, refrain from the violence of fist, tongue, or heart. Nine, strive to be in good spiritual health and bodily health. We can sleep, y'all. Ten, follow the directions of the movement and of the captain on a demonstration. I'm going to try to rein it in, but I'll say one thing in a very excited way. Like, we don't know this, like, right? Like, people don't know this. It's so, like, silly to do any of these things now, right? This is about, like, the movement that maybe is why this room looks why it does. And we aren't aware that step one is meditate daily on the teachings and life of Jesus. It can feel so uncool to talk about nonviolence. I'll tell you stories two years ago about people that were like, really, after January 6th? This is, like, that was the Sunday after like, that was the first time we talked about it publicly at ECV. How dare you, Josh Williams? I'm like, I'm trying to incorporate in the teaching. I'm trying to do a winsome intro. But I'm more convicted than ever. Like, this is the way. A rule of life is the way. If it's not this, you got to get something. Truly. You can't be here on these streets with nothing. That wouldn't have worked for Hezekiah. Believe me. Again, he told me the stories. It wouldn't have worked. He needed something different. James Bevel needed something different. Diane Nash needed something different. I think you need something different. This is an invitation, y'all. And again, it doesn't have to be exactly to this. Believe me, remember? Differentiation, your own journey. But it has to be something. And it has to be intentional. Otherwise, the good things that God has for you, they're going to get lost. And I would love for you to do that here. But again, it might not be here. It might be somewhere that God is leading you. But there is a way. Words from Jesus and invitations. I am the true vine, says Jesus, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, says Jesus. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. You need a rule of life so you can remain in the love of God. It's an intentional effort to remain in the love of God. Remember, positioned and placed, not push and not work, but it is something that's a choice. Where is the stream of God's love flowing over you? Take those invitations, even today. So the questions here for invitations are, what is your existing rule of life? Where are your desires this season? Thank you, Bill and Laney. What rule of life might help you abide and stay close to this living stream? So our, our invitation collectively together, I think, is quite simple today. We're still going to wait and linger a little bit, but there's a simplicity to trying to trust God for what God says can happen Come, Holy Spirit. Come now in this room, this room where we may be disappointed, this room where we may be hopeful, this room where we may be fearful or eagerly anticipating the love of God. Come, Holy Spirit, in this room. And I want to invite you to focus on either one or both of your hands. 
And think about right now the posture that your hand is in. You don't have to hold it up. You don't have to do anything right now. It can be right at your side. And think about whether posture is a closed fist. Maybe whether it's open, that kind of open palm, or whether it is cupped, ready to receive. Just think about where you are right now. And then if you want to, begin to embody that with what you're doing with one or both of your hands. Holy Spirit, I pray as we embody this right now that you would move and you would show up. And I pray right now for the water of your spirit, the breath of your spirit to come and blow and move on this place. If your posture changes, you can reflect that. If you feel like you need to do something that I haven't even said, like stand, you can reflect that. If you're a closed fist still, there's a blessing in that. So move as the Spirit invites you to move. Closed fist, open palm, cupped hand, hands raised, stand up. Whatever the Spirit is doing in you, I invite you to embody that in a posture. It's a simple invitation. I'm asking you to be placed and positioned, not to have effort. If you want to imagine that, you can. If you want to embody that with your physicality, you can. But come, Holy Spirit, right now. And I pray right now that you would free people from chains, specifically chains that have said, there's only one way I can connect with the Lord. I break that right now in the name of Jesus. And I say that there is something for you that's a life-giving practice that will chase you down, that will embody God's goodness and mercy. And I pray that you discover it whether it's right now as a flash of inspiration, whether it's this week, whether it's in this season, something that might be unique to you that you've never even thought of before that's gonna help you connect to God more than you ever have. Holy Spirit, come. And I pray that that work right now for some of us, we would actually be pushed out of another love. We would be pushed out of another thing that we're fascinated with so we can choose to have you and if that's you, I just invite you just to have a simple prayer right now in your heart, nothing you have to do publicly, to say, Lord, I want you to be my greatest love. Push out the other loves. I invite you, God, to be my greatest love. I'm thankful that last week we talked about the voice of the God because I feel like the Lord's saying, hey, different sermon, but still the same <laughs> invitation. Just if you want to hear from the Lord about the desires he's calling you to, about the way he's asking you to be, I invite you just to ask the Lord, speak to me right now. Speak to me. <laughs>